Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm so glad you could join us today. We have a great show. We are going to be talking with an expert on elder abuse, and then we have an executive producer who is going to be talking to us about a show that he is, a a film that he is making called Faded Flowers about early onset. Um, Before we get into the interview process and learn a little bit more from each of these individuals, though, I want to first um, just again welcome you and tell you a little bit about the platform here because we get a lot of new listeners and uh, I want to remind you that all the shows are archived so you can go ahead and listen to them at your convenience later or you can share them with friends uh, and family and coworkers. Uh, It's all about growing our dementia care culture and making that shift together. I'm your host, Lori LeBay. And um, I just, uh, I really believe that it's time that we give voice to all of those afflicted by memory loss, including their care partners, both family and professionals, empowering them to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal here is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as it. Now, our channel expert is Rick Phelps, and he actually has early onset, and I don't know if he's going to be able to make it with us today or not, but if he does, I will definitely pull him into the conversation because he he adds so much um, with his insights as to what it's like to live with this disease. For those of you that don't know Rick, Rick is the founder of Memory People, which is a support group on Facebook, and it's a wonderful place for people with early memory loss, their care partners, as well as business professionals and advocates to seek support. Please know that we are extremely collaborative um, on this show and in our philosophy in general, and we are all about, again, shifting caregiving from crisis to comfort by sharing our knowledge, our insights, our passions, and we encourage people uh, to join us in that mission. So we would love to hear your voice as well. And you can join the conversation via the chat box on the Internet, or you can actually call in live to the show. And that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And you'll just have to push one to get into my waiting room. And when there's a break in the conversation, I will go ahead and um, pull you in. So, again, thank you for all joining us today. Our first hour, I'm going to be talking with Bill Lightfoot, who is an expert on elder abuse. 
And I've had the personal pleasure of working with Bill before. Um, again, the second hour, we're going to be chatting with Anthony, uh, and he is an executive producer working on a motion picture called Faded Flowers about early onset. So let's go ahead and jump into our first segment here. And I want to introduce you to um, Bill Lightfoot. He is a, a former sergeant with the Richmond Police Department, and during his 36-year career with the department, he served as an investigator and a supervisor within multiple units. He's a graduate of the Virginia Criminal Justice Instructor School and National Intelligence Academy in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And he is also the board chair for Heart Havens, a nonprofit connected with the, the uh, United Methodist Church, providing homes for the intellectually challenged adults across the state of Virginia. Bill has extensive um, experience in design, development, and management of training programs for law enforcement personnel, as well as other disciplines. He has developed and delivered training in domestic violence, elder abuse investigation, financial exploitation of elderly, um, multidisciplinary um, team building and forensic case studies, violence against women uh, with disabilities, violence against uh, those with dis uh, that are disabled, and um, domestic violence later in life, along with human trafficking, which is something that we don't really think about a whole lot. Um, Bill has also assisted other agencies, both government and private, in the development of domestic violence and elder abuse protocols and policies. So. He is, uh, like I said, very well established in this industry, understands it inside and out. So I'm just thrilled to have him join us today. How are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing fine. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm, I'm so glad that you're able to be on the radio platform where we can share your information with the general public. I think it's so important to talk about and, you know, abuse happens at all ages and stages of life. But, again, it can be so critical when dementia comes into play. There are so many um, angles that can be sparked. And so I think as a society, we have to kind of raise the bar of our awareness of abuse, what it is, and how we can prevent it, and what we can do once we find it. And I know you're the guy that can lead us down that path. So... Why don't we start with having you first define um, elder abuse, um, neglect, and exploitation, because they are they are different, um, but most of us glump it into that one umbrella of abuse. So if you can go ahead and define elder abuse, neglect, and exploitation for our audience, that would be great. Uh, elder abuse is kind of an all-inclusive term uh, representing all types of mistreatment or abusive behavior toward older adults. It um, It's kind of further defined as intentional or unintentional behavior that, that creates harm to an individual or to an older adult. Neglect is so very closely related. Uh, well, first of all, abuse, physical, Abuse covers physical abuse, sexual abuse, financial exploitation, um, any type of, of 
abuse that can cause harm. Neglect, as you said, is it's kind of clumped together, but it is different. It has some different dynamics to it. It is basically not providing the things needed to maintain a, a good quality of life. It's uh, It doesn't necessarily have to be physical abuse, but it, it's not providing things that, that a person needs, uh, not providing meds, not providing food, not providing proper shelter, things like that. So they... You can have both in with the with the same same person. You cannot be providing for their quality of life, and you can also be abusing them. Okay, great. And, and then exploitation. Um, can you, I don't know? Maybe I missed it in in that. Um, in terms of you know, how are people exploited? Usually when you hear the term exploitation, they're talking about financial exploitation. And that has a whole, you know, it's called financial exploitation. It's called financial abuse. The bottom line is it's stealing. Uh, It's using a person's assets or taking a person's assets for for your own use. And it is theft, but what makes it unique is the way those thefts are are done. And that is very particular to people who are seniors, people who uh, you don't have to be incapacitated, but it happens to incapacitated persons. Um, but the person can be fully cognizant of of what's happening, but through a fear factor, will give in to those tactics. It includes intimidation, coercion, threats uh, to get them to do something that that is financially beneficial to to the person who's doing it. Okay. Now, for exploitation, is it typically money, or are there other types of, of, you know, exploitation incidences that you've run across? I it's 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 money, it's property, it's anything that is financially advantageous to take from that person. Okay. Um, you know, we talked uh, the last time about. Uh, the gentleman in uh, a part of Virginia that lost, it was right around $400,000. But that was not just money. It was property. You know, we we found, found jewelry, cars stretched from here to North Carolina. So. Okay. Well, and wasn't there a case, too, where, a, like, a son was prostituting his mother out? Or maybe I read that in, a, in an article. Yeah, that was that's the case of sexual exploitation. Uh, it was her grandson, and I had given a talk to uh, some faith ministry people here, and I told them one of the things they needed to do was to stay in contact with people. Uh, 
in that parish or in that churches. So this one minister, he took it to heart, and this lady hadn't been to to church for quite a while, so he grabbed some of the parishioners in that parish or in that church, and they went to visit her. And what they learned was, well, when they pulled up, a whole group of people ran from the house, and what they found out is that her grandson was was selling her out to his friends to cover his drug debts. Unbelievable. So there's all kinds of different, um, you know, categories of this abuse, neglect, and exploitation. And a lot of times we just glump it into, I, I think a lot of times people just think of physical abuse. So why don't we talk um, a little bit about the physical and psychological abuse that can occur? The the physical abuse is actually what people don't really want to hear about all the time. Past four or five years, we've been hearing about financial abuse, and not that that's not as devastating as anything else, but it's I call it the cleaner side of abuse because you don't have to talk about physical abuse. Uh, physical abuse is just what it says it is. It is punching, kicking, slapping, um, anything that is a physical assault on that individual. It's It can go from punching or, or just slapping all the way up to and including harm or actions that will cause death. Um it, it runs the whole range of what you can do physically to a, to a person. Okay. How about psychological abuse? Psychological abuse is hard to to. It's not. It's that hard to define, but it's hard to prosecute because most states do not have statutes. Uh, that make make that a crime. It if I told you every day that I I just I'm so tired of taking care of you. I don't you know why don't you just hurry up and die? And if I tell you that over and the psychological effect of that uh, causes several things to happen: depression, apathy. It, it the person just literally gives up. But in a lot of states, that's not a crime. Um, it is it is definable. It it is something that we know happens. Same thing with isolation or coercion. Um, coercion is I'm not going to do this if you don't do what I ask. Uh, and that could be anything, not feeding, not medicating, not not doing a whole lot of things. But in most states, that's, that's not criminal. There's only a very few handful of states that have that as a criminal offense. Okay. But it's now, effective. Okay. And I would think that it, it is really hard to, to be able to pin that whole emotional abuse down because it has to be reported and... Um, a lot of times I would imagine the person who's being abused doesn't have the confidence 
to report it, and the person who's abusing them emotionally is, um, you know, tries to be fairly skilled at hiding what is going on. Um, so I would think that's well, the... it's it's first of all the person who, who is receiving this type of treatment may very well not be able to report, or there's a few. Remember, I said that that you don't you don't have to be incapacitated to be intimidated. Uh, the fear factor, you know, I had one lady, and, and she made it very plain that, that after we arrested her abuser, her next question was, what's going to happen to me? <clears throat> her fear was that if we took the caregiver away, that and he had been telling her over and over, you know, I'll put you in a nursing home. And she had been in a home for years. And that was a real that was a real threat to her and she had no idea of the resources that were out there. So you don't you don't have to be physically incapacitated. You can just be afraid. I, I've always considered that type of fear incapacitated anyway. Um, sure, this freezes you up, and and again, then when we're dealing with people with dementia, um, you know, processing things becomes even more more difficult to do. So, who do you? Is there a typical person that you find that is, um, you know, heading up this, you know, abuse and neglect, or can it be pretty much anybody? It can be anyone, but. In most cases, in in the greater majority of cases, it is a family member or an in-home caregiver. And you know, I'll I'll stop right here and and say to their credit, there are some great in-home care companies that do just a fantastic job. But you only need that one company or that one person. To, to kind of break that chain, but if you the the two women we talked about before, um, the mother and daughter who were giving care to a gentleman in in a part of Virginia, um, you know they they got to a point where they had a false power of attorney done, and, and once they did that. This gentleman lost almost four hundred thousand dollars with them using this power of attorney, which was which was bogus. But um, he had no clue of of what was going on. He, he sure. just he didn't know. Now I I know Bill that there are also some other. Um, types of abuse you know we talked about physical you know the hitting the punching the you know all of that and you mentioned um you know the sexual and we just talked about the emotional but there's also something called institutional abuse can you um explain to our audience what that means it is it is that again a cover term meaning abuse that happens to a person in a nursing home care facility, and it it usually divides itself into two parts. One is individual abuse, in other words, someone working in that care facility 
is abusing someone. And there's also this systemic abuse that happens in a care facility. And I've had a couple of those that resulted as death cases, um, mainly coming from people who had what we used to call bed sores. They're decubitus ulcers. And they advanced to such a stage that the limb became gangrenous. And the people died from being septic. Well, you know, they waited until the limb was was so gangrenous that they couldn't handle it. And then they took the people to a nursing home, I mean, to the hospital. Well, it's too late by then. Mm-hmm. That's... That's a systemic abuse that they knew about and just did nothing about. Um, The other is you could have one person in that nursing or care facility committing abuse, and the nursing or care facility actually doesn't know it's happening or doesn't know right away that it's happening. And I have always been advocating for a national system to track people who go from nursing home to nursing home and commit crimes or abuse. Uh, a lot of these people, they, they, the nursing home will fire them. They will go to another nursing home and get hired, and they move constantly. And we have no way of tracking their movement. Mainly yeah, that would be the, that would be a great thing to have. Yeah, and it, it's mainly because some of the care facilities don't want the liability factor attached to that, uh, so they don't report it. They just fire the individual. Okay. And that, you know. Is is there anything um, with Congress that's going on to do some type of tracking at all? Of that, no, not that I know of. Uh, there are five, I think there are five bills in Congress right now. Uh, actually, Senator Klobuchar has three okay. that are pending right now, and Senator Franken has a bill. And I do believe that in Senator Franken's bill, there may very well be a mention of that, but I, I, I haven't read the bill for a while. And actually, I haven't been tracking them. I'm, I'm not sure where they all are. They were in committee the last time I looked. Um, okay. Well, that's exciting because both of those are, are Minnesota senators where I'm from. So, woohoo, Minnesota. <laughs> the ones that Senator Klobuchar has, the last time I looked, they were in committee. And I have not... I have not looked lately to see where those bills are, okay. but they're all about about seniors. Okay, well, wonderful. Um, let's touch on to self abuse because I know that that is something that um, you can run into, and you know, and that can be a little tricky one. Um, self abuse. So, can you can you give an explanation of what that is, <clears throat> and um, maybe an example? Self abuse is is again just pretty much what it says. It is abuse that is being done by the individual themselves, um, and there is a very thin line there. Can you, 
you know, we're, we're talking about people for in a, in a lot of cases that that have have complete control over what they're doing. They they know they're doing it. They're not they're not incapacitated, but self abuse is that subject that that psychiatrists and psychologists talk about a lot. And the reasons behind committing self abuse. But there's that thin line of you know, if they tell you to go away, what do you do? You just you go away sometimes. Uh unless they are committing life threatening actions or mm-hmm. or things to themselves. And then there's a very long, drawn-out, tedious process to get them to stop doing that. One of the things that people have been looking at lately is hoarding. Um, you'd be surprised at some of the <laughs> you'd be surprised at some of the things that that comes up when you talk about hoarding. But self-abuse, if that person has capacity and has the <clears throat> and are able to make decisions, rational decisions, sometimes there's very little you can do except try to get them to change what they're doing or treat the condition that's causing it. Uh, There very well could be a psychological condition causing that, but you, you need to find out what it is, and you need their cooperation to do it. Okay, okay. Now, I... um. I was looking at some uh, statistical information on the, on the internet, at, you know, and pulled up greatest risk factors for causing abuse. Um, and it was a male under the age of 60 um, who was, a, you know, in relationship to uh, the person they're abusing. It could be a history of mental illness um, or a recent decline in mental health. Possibly substance abuse was was fairly common. Many times the primary caregiver um, may live uh, with the person that they're abusing. And that there's changes maybe in the family roles from being cared for to now having to be the care provider, um, also prior history. And again, you know, abuse can occur by a family member, by a friend, by a stranger, by a hired staff in your house or in a community. Um, So it's just something that we constantly have to be aware of. And then risk factors for being abused was poor health, the inability to perform activities of daily living, cognitive impairment, which is definitely memory loss, living with others, um, living alone also can increase uh, the risk of financial and self-abuse, it notes. Um, social isolation, depression, confusion, uh, substance abuse or dependency, mental or physical impairment such as stroke um, or incontinence or Alzheimer's is specifically listed in being female. And so when I look at that list and I think of, you know, dementia in general, there's kind of a lot of red flags um, that that could increase this situation for someone. And we definitely, you know, want to try to avoid that, needless to say. Um, what yeah, does somebody to, do if they suspect abuse? Well, let me, if I, if I 
can just take a moment. Let me go back to two of those that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. The inability to perform activities or daily living, that creates that dependence on that caregiver. And it is it is how many caregivers create that fear factor that that we were talking about. I can't take care of myself. I have to have you to do it, and if you don't do it, then what will happen to me? That that fear factor plays a huge part in getting, uh, especially you know, getting a senior to do something. The other is the social isolation, and I think for the past month now, I've been putting out on Twitter and a couple of other places to support your senior centers in your areas. Uh, it is a great tool to keep that senior social and connected and and to keep them from being isolated. Mm-hmm. And and I've been, I've, I've kind of probably warned people on Twitter out with that, but uh, to support those senior centers, that they, they provide a, a great tool to, uh, you know, to, to stop that isolation. Well, yeah, and it gives a, it, it, it does a lot of things. It gives the care provider some respite, which sometimes I think um, I would imagine can can cause the frustration and, and lead to abuse because uh, sometimes people just get exhausted and you know are just tapped. They're stretching themselves too thin. So that outlet provides the caregiver that rest period to be able to regroup, to to get away, to still have a life, um, and then it allows the socialization for the person who's at the center. So if it's somebody with dementia, that's great. And it also, like you said, allows uh, someone else from the outside to be, you know, an unbiased party to be able to kind of monitor the relationship or notice if there's bruising or if uh, personalities have changed and and be able to dig in uh, deeper if they think that there's an issue so it, it serves, a, you know, a, a good cause on multiple levels there, and I think a lot of times people don't always look at um, how healthy it is for people to have that respite from one another. You know, most of us don't want to spend 24-7 with, with anybody, and just because we have dementia or uh, need care for some other reason, you know, that that still doesn't usually yeah. change it for us. We like We might like having that person in our lives, um, you know, 24-7, but that doesn't necessarily mean physically right there, uh, monitoring everything that we do, because we all still, no matter where we are in life, most of us like to be able to live independently and, um, you know, to to feel feel that freedom, you know, of, of being alive and making choices, which I would yeah, imagine... What one of the other things that I've been advocating for for a long time uh, is is the areas where people are doing caregiving. They those areas need uh, caregiver support groups. There are a few that have been started, uh, and it gives the the caregivers time to get face to face with each other. Mm-hmm. And talk through 
issues that they're 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 dealing with and come up with solutions other than abuse. And I know that there are a few places in the country that have started these support groups. Um, but you know, support groups work for everything else. So. Yeah, I I would think it works good. I mean, even with uh, you know the memory cafes that we've done, um, you know we have the one in Roseville, but you know others are starting to to pop up. And what I hear from people all the time with those, and that is a place where people go with their person with dementia and uh, and their care partner. But they they talk about we talk about pretty much everything but dementia. Um, not that there aren't questions that come up every now and then. Um, and then they're dealt with in a very supportive manner, and people help troubleshoot if there's an issue um, or, you know, share stories and techniques. But the the focus is not on the disease. The focus is getting together with like-minded people where you can feel safe um, to ask anything you want, but just to feel that you have purpose, that you belong again, because disease can, can make us feel so isolated. Um, both the person diagnosed and the care partner, and it can become all-encompassing. And I think a lot of times people don't realize um, how overwhelming that can be. You know, we focus on the patient, um, but not always the care provider. And when it's a family and friend who's trying to juggle a life and everything else, and and, uh, it it gets overwhelming very, very quickly. And um, I can see how it can throw people you know, out of out of ranks. Do you have any um, um, pointers, like for signs of potential abuse that people should be looking for? Yes. Any uh, un- untreated wounds, um, the the uh, silence. You know, I, and I, I I think I put out the other day when a when a senior finally decides to tell you they're being abused, please listen. Um, because they've just taken a huge step to tell you that they're being abused. Uh, some of the signs that, that you can look for with financial abuse is sudden change in a bank account um, or the inclusion of names on a bank card or you know signature card unexplained disappearances of funds, discovery that an elder's signature is being forged. And a lot of those, the banking institutions, can play a huge role mm-hmm. in in spotting abuse. Uh, in most states, well, I think 13 states, uh, banks are mandated reporters, and the rest of them, they aren't. But whether they're mandated reporters or not, it's a win-win for the banking institution to to stop the abuse or to to at least report it. Um, the signs of physical abuse are are just what you would expect: uh, bruising, um, strangulation marks. I had one lady, she was, you know, the caregiver would come in to the house at 8 o'clock in the morning and the family would go to work and this caregiver would tie the lady to the bed mm-hmm. because she just didn't feel like taking care of her until it was time for the people to come home. 
Wow. And when it when it was finally discovered, one of the the signs were ligature marks on the on her ankles and wrists. Uh-huh. Um, but no one noticed it. You you really have to look sometimes, you know, and and I think one of the best quotes I've ever heard is sometimes the only signs of abuse that are visible are the tears. Oh, yeah. And um, sometimes those aren't shared either, you know, depending no. on the person who's being abused. Some people have always trained themselves to not show their emotions. So it's I would imagine it's very important to be in tune with with uh who you care about and you know how understanding how do they express themselves and what isn't you know normal for them you know are they acting a little bit different or or apprehensive um i had also they're, found some some uh, signs of potential abusers where they were uh it said that they would typically be overly in- attentive um they would control the victim's every action. They would talk to uh, other family members or friends like the person wasn't there, um, attempt to convince others that the victim was incompetent or crazy, make statements like uh, he's difficult or she's clumsy or stupid, um, and then make excuses for not providing proper care or medical assistance if they were called on the carpet by others. Um, and that, that's a, those mm-hmm. are huge. Um, if we have a minute, I want to go back to financial abuse a minute and talk about a term that a lot of people hear and don't really understand, and it's undue influence. Um, and uh, people have have. They have written papers about it. It, it. it is not that hard a term to understand. It first came out of civil law dealing with wills and, and things like that. But a, a real simple explanation of it is taking advantage of coercing a person or a vulnerable adult to do something that they would not ordinarily do. Mm-hmm. It is it is creating a a situation where it creates fear uh, to prey on that person to create a dependence. It is it is the tool used by abusers to create that fear factor or to create a situation that is undue influence. Uh-huh. Over that person to get them to do something. Okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pull Rick in. I think he's on the line here. Rick, are you here? I am, Lori. Uh, I've just been listening to all this great information that your guest has. It's uh, it's it's really good. Well, good. Do you have any questions for Bill? Uh, Bill, Rick is uh, a man who lives in Ohio, and he actually has early onset. He's kind of my expert who lives with the disease that that joins the show uh, when his schedule allows him to. So um, do you have any any specific comments, Rick, or, or questions well, that you'd like to ask? 
I just wanted to throw a thing out here for Bill. Um, a few years ago, before this diagnosis took me over, I was indeed a, an investigator for the state of Ohio for elder abuse and facilities and things like that. And uh, I used to tell people all the time that uh, a lot of times, um, you know, you get that, uh, oh, what's it called when you can't see side by side, with your arms out, oh, peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. You lose your peripheral vision, and sometimes the patients are, are afraid when you when you move towards them, and, and that indeed is true. But also, um, sometimes when the patient does that, it's because of abuse. They've been abused at one time or another, right. or something's happened. And I used to tell them all the time that uh, be wary of that because uh, you know people will draw back when they're afraid, you know, and it could be that. I used to tell them if they're if their mother or loved one in a nursing home is, has a nightgown on or something, it's nothing to, you know, just raise the back of it and, and just check for, for bruising and things like that. Right. Uh, simple things to do, and it's very effective, you know. And then ask, you know, ask the different staff members and and how things are going on, you know, what one may be doing, the other one might not be doing, and things like that. It's very important. That And I, and I agree with you, that arm movement, it may very well be a defensive movement, right? To keep from being hit or slapped or or you know, otherwise abused, and then as soon as that defensive movement is over, they won't talk about it. But you get a lot of of seniors who who do that. That it's an automatic defense movement to being hit. Sure. I agree 100%. Not only is it automatic, and like you said, they won't talk about it, but some patients in the uh, later stages, they simply can't. You know, they can't communicate. Uh, and, right. and like you said, they could be afraid, you know, afraid to tell anybody that there is some sort of uh, abuse going on. You know, I can imagine. Yeah, I can't, I can't stress enough to people that fear factor. And you don't have to be, and I've said it a couple times already, but you don't have to be incapacitated to be afraid. And I actually, in many cases, consider fear as an incapacitator. You oh, don't, definitely. You, know, uh, you can be so afraid of, of being hit or slapped or punched or... That the fear factor, or the other factor is, if if I report this, even if they have the ability to do that, if I report it, the very next question I got a lot of is, well, well, what's going to happen to me? He told me I'd have to go to a nursing home because they don't know that the resources are out there. Yeah, well, so, they've been so isolated, I would imagine, that they don't, you know, they just aren't connecting the dots or don't think that right. someone else would help them. That's why they're relying. And, again, I'm not going to say it's always a loved one either um, because this can happen with anybody. Um, and I also know, Bill, there's a, there's a great fear people go through, um, especially with dementia, you know, for later stages, people really fear, you know, what if I can't keep them at home and I have to place them? Um, and I don't know if there's really any statistics in terms of abuse at home versus uh, in a in a community or a facility. 
Um, is there anything that tracks that? The only thing that you can do to track that is to look at each individual state's reports coming from APS or Adult Protective Services. And they they will track the number of offenses or the number of cases, what kind of cases they are. And in most states or in a few states, they mm-hmm. will they will track where the information came from, um, which sometimes leads you back to you know it's a lot of work to find out who the abusers are. But if you if you look at the tracking information that comes out, it it shows right now that a huge majority of the abuse is coming from a relative or in-home caregiver. Mm -hmm. I suspect that in the next four or five years maybe, we will see the numbers jump in institutional abuse uh, because no one's been tracking it that, that well. Okay. So it's kind of a, you know, you you almost have to pull up every state's APS reports at the end of the year and kind of look at it. Okay. Uh, Fortunately, here in Virginia, the APS here does a fantastic job of of tracking uh, even, you know, where the reports are coming. They they do a fantastic job on tracking the the they are suffering the same things that other APS units around the country are suffering, and that's shorter personnel and shorter money. Okay. Now, if if someone has, um, you know, suspects abuse, um, can you tell us a, you know, we always hear about the mandated reporter, and there's a title, but most of us don't know the list of who those people are. And, you know, so as a layperson, what do I do and what is my responsibility to do something if I suspect abuse? Unless the list of mandated reporters vary from state to state. Um, Here in Virginia, there's a whole long list of mandated reporters, including police, medical personnel, um, it, it, you know, social service workers, doctors, the list goes on and on. There's some 20 different mandated reporters. In some states, the list is not as extensive. And there's one state, and I'm not going to put them on the spot, but there is one state that is just entering a bill to have mandated reporting. They've never had it before. Um, and I, I saw that bill come through, I don't know, six, seven months ago. But anyway, uh, your immediate response should be to call Adult Protective Services in your mm-hmm. state. And you're not, in most states, you don't even have to give your name. You simply have to give them enough information 
to to go and do an investigation of suspected abuse. Uh, in most places, they don't even ask your name. Some do, but you don't have to give your name. But in most states also, their codes require that once they receive a valid complaint, that they have to go and look at it. So Adult Protective Services is, is probably your first call. Okay. To, uh, and you said every state has Adult Protective Services. It may not be called Adult Protective Services. I, I think in some states they call it something else, but it, it amounts to Adult Protective. It, it may be called Senior Services. It may be called you know, something else. But if you call them and you ask for Adult Protective Services, They'll know what you're talking about. Yep, the person at the general line should be able to to get yeah, you through. They'll, they'll know what you're talking about, and that should be your first call because they are mandated by law in most states to oh. to go and investigate. Okay, now if it is, um, you know, I, I know that you say that's where we go for the first call, but, I mean, if it is, um, oh, what do I want to say? If it if it's obvious and criminal, um, and not that all of these aren't, but you know maybe a nine one one call might be in order as well. Um, or do you always recommend going through the state first and having them call the police in? Um, but I, I'm just thinking, you know, if somebody was, you know, physically abused and harmed and needed medical attention, my gut would be to just call nine one one and then everything would kind of fall into place from there. Right, right. Oh, if, so if, if, if you're suspecting that, especially if there's physical, signs of physical abuse, mm-hmm. uh, call the police. Okay. Because it is a criminal offense. The issue is that in, in a lot of places, and I really hate to say this, but in a lot of places, two things may happen. Number one, the police don't, Aren't aren't that trained to do elder abuse investigations? Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that in in a great deal of places, the police and the APS don't work together. They they there's this turf thing between them, and it is very hard to get rid of. Sometimes. Okay. And Rick, did you did you see any turf issues between police and medical professionals or social workers in your line of work? Well, Lauren, not only did I see it, but I lived it. I was in law enforcement, and then later on in my career, I I moved over to the investigation side for this uh, subject. And he is he is absolutely correct. Uh, I don't know why it's like that, but it is like that. I would recommend what I always told people: certainly call nine one one if you know that abuse is going on, but also call Adult Protective Services, just cover all the bases. I know uh, when I investigated such cases as elder abuse, if if I uh, had any inkling that it was an ongoing thing or it was going to continue and and things like that, then before I left that house, I had an officer arrive. I just did that. That's that's how I did things. Um, I, I think it's important to mention that when people call these services, you know, I didn't go out to somebody's house with handcuffs and, and, and 
thinking about taking somebody to jail. That's not it at all. Elder abuse is indeed, like you said, a crime, but also it's, it's a way of reaching out for help. Um, both the abuser and the victim need help, you know, and that's what you need to provide. Now, it may get to the place, and it very well does a lot of times, where criminal charges are filed. But then again, you know, mental abuse is just as bad as physical abuse, and, and it just needs to be dealt with. Uh, people need to understand just because you pick up the phone and call somebody for assistance like elder abuse or the law enforcement doesn't mean that you're calling them to get them in trouble or have them arrested. That's not the case at all. In 90% uh, of the cases that I dealt with, it was just uh, mostly people reaching out for help. That's what it's uh, yeah. I did see a lot of abuse, a lot of bad abuse, but most of my calls were uh, people just, like I said, reaching out for help, both both the uh, family member, caregiver, or uh, or the uh, victim. Okay. I, I, I agree, and, and I tell law enforcement constantly, uh, you cannot do an elder abuse investigation alone. Right, exactly. You're, this this turf thing has got to go away, and you have to do it as a team. You have you need you need the police, social services, or, or APS, medical personnel. Your Commonwealth attorney has to know what's going on, and and you need this team approach because you can't do everything. Exactly, and, exactly, Bill. And and I, 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 I'll tell you something else. I have to interject for I forget it. Um, a lot of times I would call uh, EMS and get them involved because I wanted a report, um, not just my report, but I wanted some sort of a medical report uh, documenting what they thought and what they seen as far as bruising and things like that. Even though I'd worked in EMS also for years, you need, I wanted to get them involved. But like you said, you need all these agencies. You know, I'd take a report and then I'd make sure it passed on to law enforcement and what they did with it. And, well, you know how that goes. but. But you're exactly right. Everybody needs to work together on, on things like this. Yeah, one of the worst cases I ever had of elder abuse came from a rescue squad crew. And I had just done training for the rescue squad, I don't know, four or five months before. And they immediately, when they went into the house, knew what they had. And on the way to the hospital, they were calling police, APS, and everybody else, uh, and it paid off. So medical personnel, especially emergency crews and ER nurses or forensic nurses, uh, are extremely important in, in that whole process. Okay. Um, well, this has just been very, very interesting. I don't know if anybody out there has any questions, but, again, you can always utilize the chat box or call in. We're going to be wrapping up this uh, portion of the session here pretty soon. You can call in. Again, the number is 714-364-4757. That's 714-364-4757, and you just have to push one. And... Uh, Bill or Rick would be glad to answer any questions that you that you might have. Um, I uh, think Lori, this is just. Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention this, and I'm sure Bill has seen this and even dealt with it many times. I know I have in the squad, but it used to infuriate me to be on a run at an elderly person's house or something, and you always want to get down to their eye level, never have them look at you. So you get down to their eye level so they don't have to look up. 
But many, many times my partner or someone in the room would be yelling at this person, not actually yelling, but raising their voice. And I look at them and I'm like, listen, just because they're old doesn't mean they're deaf. You know, a lot of people are hard hearing, but talk to them in a normal tone of voice. You don't have to scream at someone. That You don't get anywhere doing that. That might not be down the road with abuse, but yelling at someone like that, it just used to drive me crazy. I absolutely agree. And I think one of the other things that, that I've learned is you show proper respect when you're addressing these people. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you would be surprised at the number of people who will walk into a home and use the person's first name, and they've never seen them before in their life. You're, you're Instead absolutely of right. Mr. Mr. or Mrs., it's, you know, well, well, hello, whatever the lady's name might be. And, and that's, I actually had a woman freeze up on an officer until I got there. And when I said, you know, why wouldn't you talk to the officer? And she said, uh, what gave him the right to call me by my first name? He doesn't know me. And I thought the whole block here, <laughs> this, this right. whole wall, was because he right. didn't you know. I've, You know, Bill, so, I've seen I've seen many times that on EMS, and, and they mean well by doing it, but a lot of times they'll say, well, what's grandma doing or how you feeling, grandma? Well, you yeah. know, that's not your grandma. That might be their grandma, but it's not your grandma, and don't address her as grandma or grandpa or dad or whatever. It's mister or sir or ma'am, you know. That's what needs yeah. to be done in situations like that. It's, it's yeah, just a sad, it's, more training, it's a I guess. That, it's a wall that you can create that doesn't need to be there. Exactly. Yeah. So. Exactly right. I do want to also remind people that um, the administration on aging um, and Barack Obama actually had put into effect a, a World Elder Abuse Day, which is designated as June 15th. So if people want to mark that down in their calendar, just as an awareness thing, you know, if you're out there, if you tweet and Facebook, or just to to uh, make it pop up on your calendar to make you think about, you know, this stuff does happen. This is real life, and, you know, we're all aging. We're all susceptible to this, and, and you don't have to be old to be abused. Um, but when it comes to dementia, again, the, the odds, you know, increase um, just because of cognitive function and ability to report. And so it's it's something important for all of us to take an active role in. Again, we don't have to be a mandated reporter to um, step up and be responsible for what we see and to protect those uh, that need protecting. So I really encourage people to to take this seriously and um, be an advocate, um, you know, for abuse and. Um, get behind the legislation that is going on out there and, uh, you know, put, help push things forward because none of us can do this alone. Again, Bill, I really want to thank you so much for, for your time and your insights. Um, Bill can be reached. He's a consultant. He's got Lightfoot Consultant uh, Consulting Associates. And, again, he does a lot of legislative and government affairs work as well as elder abuse, neglect, and exploitation, uh, domestic and family violence. He's located in Richmond, uh, Virginia, and he can be reached on 
on Facebook. Um, or are you comfortable giving out your phone number or email, Bill? Sure, sure. Okay. And um, what phone number would you like to give people? It's 804-986-4631. And the only thing I'll say is, you know, if I'm in a hearing or, or if I'm not able to answer, please leave a message for me so I can get back with you. And my email uh, is always available. So It's lightfootwh at comcast.net. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for your time today, Bill. I very, very much appreciate it. And you have a wonderful day. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce our next guest. I'll, I'll give you one last second if there's anything else that you want to say that maybe you didn't have a chance to. It was just great to meet your other guests. Wonderful. Well, you have a Thank great you. day. And we'll go ahead and roll roll our show into the, the next session here. Um, I'm very excited for our next guest. Um, he is going to be doing some amazing things to help raise awareness for Alzheimer's disease. And um, our next guest is a, an executive producer for a motion picture called Faded Flowers. And Anthony D'Alessio um, is the president and managing member of Hungry Coyote Entertainment. He's also a writer of the screenplays Faded Flowers and Wired. After several years in the military, uh, Tony secured his civil engineering degree from New York uh, University. He worked for an international consulting firm where he advanced through the ranks to project manager and engineering manager. Uh, Tony managed several multi-million dollar freeway uh, interchange projects while he was um, serving as engineering manager of the Tempe, Arizona office. But Tony uh, found that he had another calling, and so he left his engineering to pursue his second act in life, which which is his love of the arts. He took acting classes, performed in stage and screen productions, began writing screenplays, directed short films, and began producing. Tony found his management experience provided critical and transferable skills for his role as film producer. Like, like with so many, a simple, unassuming thing that happens to us in life um, can occur and blossom a big, a big change in us. And that is really how Faded Flowers was born, just out of an innocent visit to a nursing home. On this day, Tony went to the nursing home and had a conversation with a woman who had Alzheimer's disease. While doing some research, he found that there's no cure for this diagnosis, and it truly is a death sentence. 10% of seniors 65 or older will be affected by Alzheimer's disease. Their families will be the primary caretakers and will be greatly impacted. He knows that 5.3% million Americans now have the disease, and by 2050, it is projected to be 16 million people. He has learned that the disease is not limited to the senior citizens, and early onset can be contracted in the 40s. And he knows that there is just a general lack of awareness of this threat, and he is here today to tell us how he is looking at making a difference. So how are you doing, Tony? 
Hi, Lori. How are you? I'm doing Hi, well Lori. today. Thank you. I am uh, thrilled to have you on the show and uh, to hear more about faded flowers. It's um, it's something you know that the the community and Rick will chime in on this. We all know that much more awareness needs to come into play, and movies are so powerful. And so we're we're very very interested to hear more about about your story, uh, faded flowers. Can you start maybe with with talking about what what actually is faded flowers? What's your your vision for the for the film? Um, well, first of all, let me just comment on on your previous guests. I was quite impressed that the elder abuse uh, theme uh, is so prevalent, and that's really a part of Faded Flowers also. It deals with elder abuse. Oh, wow. uh, Oh, yes. (laughs) Perfect. Well, Faded Faded Flowers is the story of Virginia Flowers. She's a strong, sassy woman who is full of life, She's in her early 50s, by the way, which means that she will be getting early-onset Alzheimer's disease, and that also happens to be the same disease that prompted her husband's suicide one year earlier. Um, Then she not only has to cope with the disease, but her daughter and her daughter's criminal boyfriend plot to take over her substantial assets. So that's where it ties in with the with the elder abuse, and I was I was I was quite uh, impressed by that discussion. Oh wow! Uh, well, you just you know things happen for a reason. We just you know we didn't plan having you back to back like that, but uh, you know there's bigger plans in the sky. <laughs> well, that was that was quite remar- that was quite remarkable, Laurie. I was uh, like, wow! How did she tie this in? Did she read? Did she read the script? I know you didn't, but uh, <laughs> I thought for a moment there that you had either written it or read it. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no. I anyway, didn't have... anyway, she, uh, Virginia boldly rebels against her daughter's schemes, and she fights uh, her fear of the disease and her fear of her daughter by running away to those uh, happier places of her past as her short-term memory is diminishing and her long-term memory is becoming more prevalent. And so she escapes several times and she goes on a series of journeys. This is her odyssey because she is terrified of losing her freedom as well as her memory. So that, <laughs> so I, I was quite impressed with the previous discussion by Mr. Lightfoot uh, and I really thank him for that basically a confirmation of, uh, of, uh, of the incident I wrote in the script. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that needs um, you know brought to the light of day much much Absolutely. more so. And uh, with the numbers climbing the way they are, uh, it's it you know we're just going to see more and more of it. You hate to say that, but you know that's just the odds. Now, is the is the screenplay is it actually a story of someone's life or is it um, is it something that you just um, you know, wrote and, and put together in your own kind of mind's eye? Well, well, there are, I, I put it together in my mind's eye, but it is based on uh, on actual fact. 
uh, at least some elements are based on actual fact. Okay. Um, yeah, the uh, the husband's uh, the husband's suicide uh, was an early incident that I had learned about. My wife was working. Uh, my wife was working with this gentleman who was diagnosed with early onset dementia at the time they called it, and he chose to end his life by suicide. Oh well, he ended his own life, of course, uh, but he put a bullet in his in his own head, and um, so that was one element of the of the story that that got into the script. And uh, of course, the the story about that you told when I visited the nursing home and sat next to this woman who was telling me all about all about how she would run away and she would go camping and find the Girl Scouts on the river. And then, after she left the table, my uh, mother-in-law, who has since passed away, by the way, unfortunately, but my mother-in-law advised me that oh, that's that woman has Alzheimer's disease. Did you know that? And I said, no, I didn't. And when we left the nursing home, I said to my wife, you know, uh, there's there's an element of, of a great story here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write it. And I did. So mm -hmm. that's how that came around. So and I, 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 I forget what your question was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, you, you've answered it. We, we just kind of do general general questions and conversation leads us wherever we go. So I'm a, I'm a okay, firm believer sure. whatever comes out of our mouths is what somebody on the other side needs to hear, and, uh, you know, there are no mistakes. Uh, now, I have a question for you. When, you. when you met with this woman and she's talking about her adventures, um, did you believe mm -hmm. that she actually went and did these things? And, you know, was she doing the great escape? Um, or was she relying on past memories? Did you, were you able to to know kind of where she was coming from with her with your conversation with you? Honestly, I couldn't I, I couldn't tell whether she was making it up or she was grabbing some story from wherever. Um, but there was an element of truth in that and that that I felt at least, and mm -hmm. that's how. That's how it wound up in the in the story, or it became part of the story. Uh, the fact that she was running away led to led to the story uh, that I created with the with the multiple with the multiple adventures, the Odyssey, if you will. Uh, and, and so I thought that was a great theme, and okay. and that's the way the script is. So with the with the script, and not and if you can't give things away, I totally understand that. Just stop. Well, I don't want to get too. too Pardon me. <laughs> I said, just stop me in my tracks because, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I can't give I can't give too much away, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and I understand that. I'm just wondering, with the adventures, um, does the character actually go on them? Can you yes. can you say that, or is there maybe a combination? Um, well, no. She she uh, she's dealing with her daughter, and her daughter is trying to. Uh, convince her to go to a nursing home, and of course okay. she's losing. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I didn't know she, if she was going to do a Thelma and Louise and get in the car and go. You know, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a Thelma and a Louise without the Louise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. And on these journeys, uh, uh, on these journeys, she gets into difficulties 
that create a, a lot of drama in the story. Okay. So that okay. so that's that's part of that's part of the script as well. Okay. And um, you know, we've had some really great reviews of the script, and one of the uh, one of the motivations that I had for going uh, for continuing to produce uh, this project was a review by the Page Awards that called the script Oscar material and said that um, an actress, many actresses would love to have a role like that. So uh, I was I was uh, taken by that review and I said, well, you know, if that's the review, I'm going to push this forward and there's a great theme in here for Alzheimer's awareness and that's exactly what we want to do. We want to spread the awareness about uh, early onset Alzheimer's, let people know that it's not only seniors 65 and over who uh, are subjected to the disease, but it can start at a much earlier age, as we well know. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's um, that's wonderful to hear. You know, when I was reading, um, you know, some of the some of the reviews that you had, you know, one of them said the story of faded flowers enter, um, centering on the tragedy of Alzheimer's disease is important mm-hmm. and significant enough to warrant a theatrical release, which I just think is so, so beautiful, you know, with yes. that. And, um, that, was from, that was from the page, that was from the page awards review, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yes. Uh, I wanted to jump in here. I'm, I'm so excited to hear this story from your guest, uh, Tony. I wanted to tell him how much I appreciate what he's doing because when people do stuff like this, uh, be, it, be it at his level or lower or even higher, I, I personally think, I look back and I think they're doing it for me, being diagnosed uh, as an early-onset Alzheimer's disease patient a couple of years ago. And uh, I, I just, uh, a lot of time people will go to a theater or a movie to watch something like this and it will uh, impact them more than what I've been trying to do for the last two years uh, in, in an hour and a half or two hours' time. I know, uh, of course, I just released my book, and a lot of we're getting a lot of good reviews from that. But uh, when you see it on the screen, that's, uh, it takes it to a whole new level, I'm sure. I'm just positive, and I just wanted to make sure that he knew I, was, I, I, I deeply, deeply appreciate what he's doing here. Yeah, I I agree. The the screen, you know, I what I do, uh, Tony, is I do a lot of what I call emotional based training, and yes. I'm a firm believer that people don't change um, when they see something, but they change when they feel something, and yes. and that's one of the gifts I think that that the film industry has to to give us all is this gift of, of not just seeing it before us, be, but being able to feel the story and capture the moment and and really, you know, get entwined in the lives through the storyline to make us want to stand up and take charge and, and make a difference. And so I'm, I'm so, like I said, I'm just so excited about um, a film like this. I think it's way overdue, and I think the timing is so right. And I know... Many of us in the grassroots effort out here living and breathing with this disease um, will be extremely supportive of trying to help, you know, raise awareness and and um, push people towards the film because, like Rick said, 
you know, we're all doing our little parts with whatever right. our our expertise or skill set is or our comfort level, and you're just bringing a whole nother level that is so greatly needed in the world. Um, I, I, I can't even I can't even put into words, and I don't think Rick can either, how much a movie like this is needed, and and I think the response is going to be phenomenal in terms of um, touching people at all ages and stages because, you know, I go in even to the schools and speak, and the kids a lot of times are taking care of grandparents or they're living in, um, they're they're, uh, living with this disease, maybe a grandparent or something, and the kids say, but my parents won't tell me what's going on. Because the parents are trying to, you know, protect the kids. And it's very, very important that the kids understand this disease because they want to help. You know, they really want to, you know, get involved with this. So for them to be able to see this on a screen and not feel isolated and to be able to, to see kind of the workings because maybe parents and families are, A, not comfortable talking about it, or B, um, trying to protect them, because this is not a disease of one, as you know. This is a disease of society, and we have to join forces together. Um, and, and it has to be exposed, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, with this disease. And it's not all tragic. Um, there's, For me, there's been many, many gifts that have come out of my mother's 30-year journey with this. And, um, and one of them is doing what I love to do right now, and so, again, I, I think the power of the film is going to um, just be exquisite. Um, to be able to see that on the big screen is going to be very, very exciting, <clears throat> to say the well, least. Well, we've, we've, uh, we've certainly been working towards getting it on the big screen, and that was, that was my objective from very early on was to get this into a production, a quality production that would be shown on the big screen and would have an audience, a broad audience, um, broad both in terms of volume and in terms of the age uh, age differentiation, the, the different generations that would watch this and uh, become aware of, of the issues with uh, with the disease and 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 many of the issues, uh, as as your previous as your previous guests uh, testified, were uh, basically um, many of many of the issues are basically based on on uh, on fear and abuse. You know, so we've got those elements in in the story, and uh, we would like to uh, uh, we would like to have. Uh, uh, we would like to have the general population of the United States, <laughs> all of it, <laughs> aware of this disease. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to stop you there. We want awareness. the world. We want the world to see this. Okay, film. the world. Yes. This is that's one of my goals is um, is to be internationally connected because this is not just a disease of us over here in the U.S. and. Europe is doing some amazing things, and some of our small countries are struggling so deeply with this disease. And and this movie will help be a tool to get the conversation started. 
Um, and and, and really, you know, it, it's going to be. I'm just all excited. I don't know. You can probably hear it in my voice, but I'm, I'm, I am very excited. Uh, Lori, mm-hmm. I wanted ahead, to men- I wanted to mention to Tony, and I don't like I said I'm memory impaired. I can't really remember how this happened, but somehow uh, someone pointed me to it or something. I got to his website, and I either seen a trailer or read about this. My wife read it to me, and what I am taken aback by, and, and you know how I talk about these things, but. So many times with this disease, you'll see prominent people, um, whether it be um, actors or or movie stars or whatever, uh, talk about this disease. But the problem with that is, I appreciate everything they do, but the problem with that is they will never know this disease like I know it or like the common person knows it. And with a a screenplay or film or whatever uh, this, this is going to be, this is what needs to happen. They need to show this disease how it actually is instead of how some how it's sometimes portrayed on TV at, at some of these telethons and, and, and things like that. Like I said, I, I appreciate everything everybody does, but there's a certain a handful of people that will just never, ever know this disease. They'll never worry about buying medication. They'll never worry about right. caregiving or placing your loved one. It just They don't understand the depths that this disease goes to. And... Uh, I'm sure this film is actually going to do that. I'm, I just can't thank him enough. Well, Great. I appreciate your comments, Rick. I really do. Uh, and, yes, uh, the impact on the caretakers is uh, equally dramatic to the impact on the patient. I mean, not to take away from that terrible impact on the patient, but uh, the caretakers are affected all, as well. Their Their entire lives are disrupted. Um, life becomes life becomes a, a different journey, if you will, of taking care of the Alzheimer's patient. Well, you're absolutely so, right. My wife, uh, she's my primary caregiver, of course, and it has changed us. It, it, it not only has affected me, of course, but it changes our, your whole family. It changes your whole family dynamics. Everything absolutely. changes and everything around you, and, and this needs to be brought uh, brought out. And like I said, I just can't thank you enough. Well, you're welcome, Rick. <laughs> Anything we can do to spread awareness, uh, you know, we are trying. We really are. We're working on it, believe me. Uh, I have know. a team. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, we have, we, have, we have a team. I have a team of, uh, uh, of great producers, experienced producers, Tammy McDaniel and uh, William uh, William Case, uh, they've been producing for many years. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many at this moment, but uh, they've been producing for many years, and they've been quite helpful in help in bringing this project to to the forefront. And we're, you know, we're we're in the process right now of uh, working with. Uh, individual financial investors and a combination of uh, of structured capital loans based on based on foreign sales and that's that's the process we're in right now of getting this project funded and uh, we're also uh, I guess I should mention this as well that we do have Rosanna Arquette attached with a letter of intent to play the lead role of Virginia Flowers, and we're currently in talks with other talent who play her daughter, as well as 
other talent as well to play some of the other roles. So there's a lot going on. Uh, it's a slow process. It's a laborious process, but I'm focused on getting this done. I have been at this since 2004, actually, is when I started, uh, when I first uh, finished the script was in December of 2004, and we had a table read. And then since then, there's been about eight or ten different drafts, and the draft we have now is the one that we're working on. But we are working very hard to get this thing onto the big screen. I can assure you that we are working as hard as we can. Well, it's it's just a fantastic project, and I don't think yeah you know, I don't think most people understand how long it takes to get something like this off the ground. I mean, you you start oh my with, God. <laughs> with something in your heart and your mind, and you you toss and you tumble with it. I'm sure, and then you got to scratch it out on paper. And and then, you know, start doing the whole process of going, okay, you know, it was kind of like us with, with our kind of grassroots effort with Alzheimer's. You have to get that chatter started, you know, and how do you do that? Well, you, you start talking, <laughs> you know. Exactly. And so, I mean, 2004, that's, that's, a, that's a long time. And, again, I, I thank you so much for your, for your energy because it, you know, you have to if we're going to if we're going to make progress with this disease, we you know, we have to bite in deep and not let go and and just keep marching forward. And I'm sure you have had days you just think, "Oh, this is just too much," you know, like all of us do. Um but oh, you get back oh, up. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you get back up. I've had those days. days. I've had those days, Lori, believe me. Yeah. And you get back up yeah. and just say, this is so much bigger than me. You know, yes. this this is a world event that has to occur, um, and changes need to be made. And um, somebody's got to do this. And I guess, Tag, I meant, <laughs> you know, when you when you have that kind of passion in your belly to go forward. So I think it's just amazingly exciting. Now, um, I don't know if you can tell us, and I know you can't talk about other people you're talking with, and we don't want to ruin uh, your positioning there no, at I, all. No, I, I, I cannot divulge that. I'm sorry. No, I was thrilled that you that you gave us what you just did. That was exciting. But can you tell us, um, as far as process goes, and, and maybe there isn't a standard for this at all, but once you are able to secure funds and you're ready to go, how long does it take to produce a film? I mean, I've always been under the impression it's a couple of years um, to get things. Well, the, the, uh, the development process, which we are in right now, is the process that takes pretty much the longest. That's where we're uh, securing the funding and, uh, and uh, approaching the talent. And once we have done that, once we have done those, then we go into pre-production, mm-hmm. uh, which typically can take anywhere from, depending on how how quickly the uh, the team works, uh, but generally I think on an average of about three to six months for pre-production and usually closer to three months. And then the shooting schedule itself is... Uh, is 30, 35 days. We have a 35-day shoot schedule, so that translates into about a two-month period of time. And then there's a period of post-production after that, which typically goes for about six months. So all in all, once we secure the funding, 
the project uh, should be out there within a year. Oh, great. So hopefully, pardon, pardon me? <laughs> I said that's great. That's much sooner than what I well, what yeah, I yeah, it does take many years, but many of those years are spent on the front end, which is which is where I am. I mean, as I said before, I started this in started this in 2004, and here we are in uh, in 2012, <laughs> eight years yeah. eight years later, and I can't believe I've been working on this project for eight years. You know, time flies when you're having fun, as they say, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, it is, it, it, and it is, it is, it is fun because it's a work of passion. You, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm passionate about the project. I want to see this film up on the screen. There's no doubt about that. In my mind, I want this film made, and that's the way my producers feel as well. I'm also working with a publicist uh, right now who came to me about four or five weeks ago. Tom Larkin, and uh, he helped me uh, develop the uh, public service announcement on early onset Alzheimer's, and uh, we're quite pleased with that, and we're hoping that that will spread awareness as well. Great. Now, how can our audience help in terms of, um, you know, it would you know, going into your website and liking your page is that something that that is useful for you guys? Uh, is there that is. Uh, as many as as many times as they can forward the PSA or re- retweet it or repost it uh, or just say like, you know, on Facebook or mm-hmm. yes, uh, the more people we can get to, to do that, uh, the better off we are. The more recognition we will we will get and. That's about all the audience can do at this point, really, right now. Okay, okay. Uh, well, when I, yeah. um, after the show, I always push it out in the blog, and I'll make sure that those connections are um, are there so that people can go ahead and, and see the video that you did and go mm-hmm. back and, and like it, and we'll encourage them to, to push that out as well because uh, it is very, very uh, important. And if you want, I can add that to my resource directory, too, in the videos uh, section. We can make a link and um, and hook you up there. So, And that's something, uh, the, the International Resource Directory for Dementia is something that is in a soft launch right now. Um, but if people go to alzheimerspeaks.com, you know, we'll, we'll put you um, under what I call Fantastic Flicks, and there's a spot there for... Uh, videos and films and those types of things, uh, so that That's people great. can find Thank them. You. I find them that. With that, um, uh, can you tell? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I no, wanted I, to throw. Uh, I wanted to throw this out at Tony on a lighter side. I've uh, I've never taken any acting classes, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn once. So if you want to, <laughs> if, if you need an actor, give me a shout. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I don't know how the Holiday Inn ties in with uh, <laughs> acting classes. It, but. it doesn't. That's why I said that. I'm not sure I want to know. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sorry, I just had to say that. That was great, though. <laughs> um, I think I'll put that in a script. <laughs> 
That line might get in there, Rick. <laughs> oh, too funny. Now, um, can you talk to us about what traditional or non-traditional practices you're you're going to be using for publicity? Oh, for publicity. Well, uh, right now, right now, a lot of uh, what we've been doing is uh, making cold calls to investors and whatnot. But if you're talking about publicity after the fact, after the film is made, is that what you're referring to? Uh, well, I didn't know if you were doing, you know, I mean, you've got your website out now, and I didn't know if there was yes, a blog or, or chat right. or, yes. you know, those types well, of Well, right now I do, yes. Tom Tom Larkin has been working with me for the past three or four weeks, and we are setting out on a publicity campaign to raise the awareness for the, of the film uh, and consequently... In, in turn, that would raise the awareness raise the awareness of the early onset early onset disease. Mm-hmm. So we we have to do one before the other. It's kind of like uh, I can I can talk about the early onset disease, but uh, and raising awareness of it. But the faded flowers film will be the will be the vehicle for sending that message. Okay. No, I don't know if, if this, you know, I'm always brainstorming, so, and again, we're just kind sure. of chit-chatting here, but, I, you know, I don't know if this would help with investors or not, but just the food for thought, even if you had a kind of a petitioning type thing that went out with a badge um, talking about faded flowers, and I, it, I know there's one on Facebook where you can kind of do a badge and ask people um, to grab the badge and put it on their pages, and, and I believe it's free, but I didn't know if that might help, you know, if, if we can help you go viral with what it is you want to do and if those numbers can help you in terms of securing financing, um, you know, just, and again, by raising awareness, um, that's just food for food for thought, too. I, I don't know. I don't know how all this stuff works, and I don't need to, and, and I don't want to get into areas that could compromise uh, your production by, by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination but i always just think uh, kind of getting that list behind you and there's so many different ways between twitter and facebook and this and that and yes. <laughs> it, it well those those are not uh, the publicity campaign is not my area of expertise and that's mm-hmm. why that's why i have a publicist tom Lockton, working with me right now mm-hmm. so i i'm gonna i'm gonna let him uh, make recommendations to me, and uh, we can we can take it from there. And you know, we'll start the publicity campaign. We've we've already started the uh, publicity campaign uh, with the public service announcement. And uh, Tom is going to continue to work with me for the next next few months. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we'll have the funding secured by then. Well, and then well, it'll be it'll be onward and upward to promoting the film. Which is a different ball game altogether. Oh, I bet, I bet. Well, if there's anything you know that that I can do here in the future, you know, for you, you just let me know because I'll be all over it. <laughs> I just, I think it is Laurie. such a Laurie, huge. Laurie, you've done so much for Alzheimer's so far. I don't know what more you can do. Really, you, you've been, you, you've been an icon doing this, doing this for Alzheimer's disease. It's unbelievable. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you you have gone through thirty years with your mom. That's quite incredible to me. Well, you know, I think more and more people are going to be going through this um, with early diagnosis. You know, we used to think that this was a, an old person's disease, and you know, they'd have yeah. a couple of years and they'd be gone. And right. that's just not the case. I mean, Rick, you know, um, is a young man who's who's got the disease as well, and there are many, many mm-hmm. people on Facebook. He's got, what, over 2,000 um, people, active members on, on his uh, Facebook support group called Memory People that are totally engaged with this. And, uh, you know, people are seeing that this is a disease like breast cancer, like diabetes, um, like AIDS, that we have to learn to live with. Um, This is not a passing phase. There's no cure that's right around the corner. Uh, There's no program that, you know, you're just going to sign them up and and, uh, change and their mind's going to go back to the way it was. Uh, That's not going to happen. And so as a society, we have got to jump on the bandwagon, yell and scream, and get some attention for a disease that needs much more funding than what it has. It needs to create awareness. And not only do we have to go after a cure, but in the meantime, we've got to help people living with it today. And a lot of of what has to happen in, in my mind is, you know, we have to remove the fear. We have to talk about it because you can't remove the fear without having the conversation. And we have to give people simple alternatives uh, to work with. And you know, for me, one of the, the simplest things that, that I learned, and I've looked at this journey with my mom as um, one big lesson book, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I've learned to ask the question, you know, um, what am I supposed to learn from this? Instead of getting angry, I always ask myself, what's the lesson in this? And there's there's always an answer, you know. But for me, it was really to to alleviate the stress and the judgment and the, the the focus on how it's impacted my life, I now ask myself three questions, which I call the memory chip, which is, are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free? And that exactly. makes me focus on my mom's needs and not mine and um, has really engaged me in, in being able to have a, a much deeper relationship than I ever even imagined I could have with another person. And so um, as tragic as the disease is, um, you know, you, you you find what you look for. And I think, um, I think the disease has to be seen for all it is. And in reality, because, you know, in, in my mind anyways, there really isn't anything in this world that is totally perfect or totally bad or evil. You know, it's it's a little bit of a mix of everything. And so it's sure. appreciating the good and it's learning to deal with the not so perfect. Um, well, that's uh that's our cross to bear throughout life, isn't it? Yep. We have yep. we have the good and the bad and we have to endure the bad and and move onward and upward and and uh take the lesson take the lesson learned and uh enjoy the journey as they say yeah yeah and and you know having that sense of humor and balance is uh that's a fine line with this disease but i know for me and i think for rick too that sense of humor is you know it's it's a lifesaver um and people have to realize that you can laugh 
in a tragedy, not at, at a tragedy, but one of the yeah. core pieces of our relationship is is laughter, you know, and giving us that connection. And um, and, my, and I might add that in Faded Flowers, the film, uh, there are elements of humor. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you do have to break up the the drama, the sad drama, with uh, with some humor because otherwise people will just be <laughs> shrinking in their in their seats. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so, selling Kleenex boxes with the popcorn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. They'll be crying in the, in their popcorn. Yeah. Um you know, so we we did have to we did have to put in elements of humor and uh that that managed to get in there as well. So Well great. And, and Lori, I, I have, uh, go ahead, um, Greg. Humor <laughs> is yeah, humor is absolutely necessary. I know um, I have this disease for the past two years. Like I said, it's taken a lot from me and a lot from my family. But humor is one thing that I still have. Um, I will I will have that as long as I certainly can because uh, I don't laugh at this disease, but I laugh because of this disease is what I tell people because it's not going to yeah. take that from me right now anyway. Yes, yeah, I agree. Well, good. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with us, um, Tony, about the film? I know I've kind of gotten us off track, but I'm just so excited. <laughs> I can't help it. I just, I just think this is so needed. And um, um, well, I think we've we've touched on the major points. Uh, we we talked about the synopsis. I gave you a little synopsis of the film. We talked about the funding, where we are, the status the status with uh, our talent, uh, and uh, that's about where we are right now. We're still we're still uh, working with our investors and and our and our structured capital group uh, on foreign sales estimates so that we can we can develop uh, minimum guarantees for the purpose of borrowing money to to complete the film to do the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, at that point, uh, once we secure the funding, I'm, we're fairly confident that the talent, the talent will will fall into place because that's one of the big obstacles with getting talent to uh, sign on to any film is uh, well, how much are you going to pay me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and, but uh, we have found we have found uh, interest from talent in the film itself, in the role, because of the subject matter. And so we're quite excited about that, uh, that the talent, the people that we do have, are are basically you know, hyped up about the project itself and, and the positive message that it sends, well, the, the positive message of awareness that it sends, and the hope for a cure, and that's basically where we are. Yeah, it would be. Um, I'll just give you another one of my little brainstorming pieces. And, sure, go ahead. And, <laughs> but it would it would be lovely at the at the end of this if you could uh, talk in you know to the higher bees and powers because I have no idea how all this works. But um, to at the end of you know at the end of the production be able to have some resource numbers for people to call. Um, oh, for the absolutely. Alzheimer's Association or the Alzheimer's Disease International, because again, I'm going to help you get this worldwide. Um, everybody needs to see 
you know, a film like that. Well, we will, we will definitely, we will definitely include information like that in the credit role in the film. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, after all, this is basically a big advertisement for cure, for curing the disease. The, the film is a big ad, if you will, if you can look yeah. at it like that. Um, and and we're hoping that uh, that recognition, uh, you know, will be available to the audience. That they'll be able to go to the Alzheimer's disease and the other people that we mentioned in the credit roll. But we will certainly mention that in the credit roll. And we and we thank you, we thank you profusely for your support. We really appreciate it. Oh, not not a problem. You know, one question I didn't ask you that I usually ask everybody. I kind of giggled that I didn't ask you this, but. Okay. Have you have you personally been touched by by dementia? Um, not you yourself, um, but but you know family members or close friends um, that have yes. had the disease. Yes, I have. My grandmother, my grandmother had dementia, and I can recall visiting her with my family. My my son, my son was. Uh, my older son was five years old at the time. My younger son was uh, two, and we were visiting, visiting my grandmother, and she thought my uh, older son was me. She kept calling uh, my son David Anthony, and uh, and then she would go off and, and just get silent for long periods of time. And she was she was being taken care of by my aunt, who who lived in the same in the same uh, the same house. Uh, and and so that was my first. That was actually my first uh, uh, my first uh, experience with with Alzheimer's disease. And and then of course there was the gentleman my wife was working with who shot himself. That was that was also um, th- that was also an incident that uh, affected me. Uh, Currently, uh, there are some things going on in my family right now. I can't talk about them, but uh, uh, there's some there's some uh, abuse going on, and uh, we are we are taking care of it. So something so that is happening currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow! I, I, and I, like I said, I can't I can't talk about it immediately, but uh, I, I can't give you details, but. That's something that's happening right now as well. And uh, about uh, a year ago, another aunt of mine, uh, my grandmother's daughter, by the way, my aunt on my on my father's side, uh, she also passed away from Alzheimer's disease. So okay. I've I've had the experience in my family. Uh, I've had the experience outside of family. Um, the gym I go to is uh, a lot of senior, a lot of senior people there. Everybody I speak to about the film knows somebody with Alzheimer's disease. It's unbelievable how many people I speak to who have contact or have contact with people who have the disease and who are aware of the problem. Yet you don't hear much about it in the media, which yeah. is, you know. I, I, I find that quite fascinating. Why is this being ignored? I mean, I, I find it disturbing. <laughs> disturbing is yeah, it is yeah. disturbing, isn't it? It's yes, a, I know. It, Try to find so, someone who doesn't know why, someone. Why is this? Why is this disease being ignored? 
when one sixth of the population is going to have it? I can't. I, I just can't fathom it. There's yeah, something that there's a, there's a social Go ahead, uh, Tony. I tell people a lot um, because I, I now have it. But until it came into my life, like it has, uh, I was in EMS and I transported many, many people, many Alzheimer's patients. Mm-hmm. But until it personally comes into your life, that's when it really, really gets a hold of you. But like you said, it's it's easy to, to talk and know about someone that has Alzheimer's or EOAD. Try to find someone that doesn't, but still the stigma is there. It's it's not brought out right. like it should. Well, we're certainly hoping that there's there's. I I know they're working on a cure, and they keep coming up with these different solutions. And unfortunately, uh, you know, some of them work, and uh, you know, temporarily. And but they haven't really found the cure yet. So no, there, and there's always know, hope. For, there's always hope there. Yeah, in their trials, I mean, they have to be ten and twenty years out, and you know, exactly. people really don't want to wait that long. When I when I go to speak to a group, a lot of times I'll have everybody stand up. And um, and sometimes people come specifically, you know, because I'm talking about uh, dementia or Alzheimer's or, or caregiving. And other times I'm just kind of talking to people in general. But I'll, I'll have them um, stand up. And I go through a series of questions asking them, have they been touched by this disease? And it is a rare when I get done with like five or six questions if everyone's not sitting down. Because everybody knows somebody in their life, typically, that has, you know, either has had memory problems or is mm-hmm. currently having memory problems if they're diagnosed or not, you know, but they're thinking maybe something is going on or a friend is struggling or a coworker is struggling with somebody. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to ignore, and people don't even realize it. Um, they come up all the time when I do these group things and go, wow, you know, I really didn't realize so many people are dealing with this. And, and they, they say just what you said. It's amazing there's not more chatter about it. I know. You know but but people, <laughs> feel, people feel isolated. They feel embarrassed. They feel overwhelmed. <laughs> Um, they don't know where the resources are, and there's there's so many cool initiatives going on to help people living in the trenches right now um, to to be able to live a better life. And um, you know, one of the things that Rick is now promoting, um, you might find this of interest, Tony, is he's uh, in the process of getting a dementia service dog. Now, I've been I've been you know working on this whole stuff with my mom for 30 years. I didn't know there was even such a thing. You know, you see a service dog for somebody with a blind. And it's like, how cool is that? That's really cool. And so the dog is being trained right now. And when are you, is it like September, Rick, you're supposed to be getting the dog? Um, Yes, technically the first or second week of September. He's in his uh, uh, fourth final, uh, well, he's in his fourth advanced stage of training. He has to do uh, five stages. He's uh, 13 months old now. And he's coming from Southern California, and to say that we are excited and elated about this is is second to none because um, he actually, what he's going to do is relieve stress, anxiety, and fear, among many, many other things that he's going to know to do, but that is the main thing. What what you won't see him do is the main thing he'll do for me is what I tell people all the time because 
I get questions about him all the time. Well, what's he going to do for you? What's he going to be able to do? Like he's a, uh, you know, a canine police dog or or a seeing eye dog, and it's not really uh, uh, about that. It's it's what he's going to do for me that uh, just just his presence alone will relieve the anxiety and stress that goes along with this disease. And uh, I'm, well, Lori knows I tell I talk about this all the time about Sam and the Mancha dog, and and you're absolutely right. Uh, hardly anybody's ever heard of it, and I can't wait to uh, to bring awareness about about Sam and, and what he's going to be able to do for me. That sounds yeah. fantastic, actually. Our, our our dogs are becoming much more important in our lives as as we learn more about their capabilities. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I was just yeah. reading something this morning in this morning's paper about uh, diagnostic. Uh, uh, diagnostic uh, capabilities of, of, of dogs sniffing uh, di- diabetic patients. Uh, that, oh, absolutely, incredible. absolutely. So yeah, having a having a having a, a dog uh, companion for Alzheimer's, that's wonderful. Yeah, I think yeah. That's a great uh, idea. Going to be able to do so many things like that. He'll uh, he'll actually sense when I'm when I'm uh, having a, a bad day or things like that. I mean, he'll know and. He'll be able to alert me about my medications, and, and the list goes on and on. It's just going to be fantastic. That is phenomenal. It is. That it is phenomenal. Is. Yeah. This guy is training Bob Taylor. He's been a dog trainer for over 30 years and trained for the LAPD uh, canine unit and many, many other uh, service dogs. And, and like Lori and me, everybody I talked to, and you now, Tony, nobody knew about dementia service dogs. I, and once again, I did not. Me, I did not. <laughs> That needs to be brought out. I, it does. I, I, include, I didn't know they had dementia service dogs. I was taken aback by it. Yeah, and there's, so there's all people. different types of um, therapies. There's the pet therapy and aromatherapy and music therapy. And, again, your film yes. is going to be able to um, just, you know, hopefully get people chattering. So even if they Google stuff, they're going to, they're going to see, you know, how much help there really is. And, granted, there yes. needs to be new stuff all the time developed, but, um, you know, it takes someone to say it's time for a change, just like you're doing um, with with sticking with this film since, what did you say, 2004, um, you know, letting it just kind of <laughs> ravage in your belly there going, this this baby's getting out, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, yes, and, it's, getting, it's getting out. It's, it's getting out or, you know, I, I will continue until I can't continue any longer. That's mm-hmm. the way it is right now. Yeah. Well, I think your I think your timing is absolutely perfect. Now, I know you had talked um about how people could, you know, follow the production. They can follow you on Twitter at Faded Flowers MOV. Again, that's at Faded Flowers MOV on Twitter. And uh you said that people could utilize the Twitter hashtag and then go hashtag Faded Flowers to share any early onset Alzheimer's related info on Twitter as well. And if people have any press inquiries or want to schedule an interview um, with the writer or executive producer, Tony here, um, you can contact uh, the film's publicist, and that's Tom Larkin, and his number is 480-256-8986. Again, that's 480-256-8986. Eight nine eight six, or you can always email uh, Tony as well at faded flowers 
Movies at gmail.com. That's Faded Flowers Movie at gmail.com. Well, again, I just thank you so much for everything um, that um, you are doing. Oh, I also need to mention um, to go to the website, which is just www.fadedflowersfeature. Again, that's www.fadedflowersfeature, and you'll be able to get more information um, regarding the film there as well. Anything else that you'd, you'd like to say? I'm just like I said. I'm so thrilled you spent the time with us today, Lori. Uh, I, I just want to thank you and show my appreciation for having us. Um, we we appreciate the exposure that the film will get, and we're hoping that this exposure will help us get the film made and will lead to more awareness of of the early onset uh, the early onset disease. Um, I also want to mention that you know if people want do want to get in touch with me directly, they may at just they can email me at Tony D'Alessio at msn dot com, and that's T O N Y D A L E S S I O at msn dot com. So I, I'll be happy to respond. I'll I'll be happy to respond directly to folks if they want to if they want to talk to me directly. Oh great, great, um, Rick. Any anything else you want to add in? I can't believe our hour is just about up. We've got about two minutes left. It really it's flies. So no, I'd, like I'd just like to thank Tony once again for what he's doing. He made a career change, and and I'm certain mm-hmm. that he did the right thing. And I can't thank you enough. And it was a pleasure, pleasure meeting and talking to you. Thank you, Rick. Same here. I appreciate it. Well, great. Well, with that, I'm going to go ahead and close up the show here. Again, I want to thank all of our listeners, and I really hope that you will go to uh, FadedFlowersFeatures.com and go ahead and follow them on Twitter and, um, you know, do what you can. Share share that uh, little PSA video that they have about the film. This will be just an absolutely fantastic way for people to to get a feel for what Tony is is up to here and the impact that it will have on all of us in the future. I would also like to ask our listeners if you enjoyed this uh, episode, if you can share it on Facebook and Twitter it, uh, you can email it, but help us spread the word both on uh, preventing abuse and also about the new project Faded Flowers for this movie production. Our upcoming shows, we've got several on the books here on the 9th. I'm going to be interviewing uh, Natalie Rubenstein, and she is going to be talking about dementia and caregiving tips uh, for surviving the journey. On the 16th, I'll have uh, Meredith Fidel, and she's uh, an author from uh, Australia, and she's going to be talking about her book. And then on the 20th, I've got um, Kaya will be with us, and she's just an absolutely incredible woman whose mother has gone through this journey and how she has dealt with it. And I'm also going to have uh, somebody who uh, has uh, has a company on home health care, so we'll be talking about some things there. So lots of good things uh, will be happening on the show. And then we've got our next Dementia Chats, which is our webinar where I interview Rick Phelps, uh, who was just with us, and Harry Urban. 
and we talk about what it's really like to have uh, early onset dementia. That'll be on August 8th, and you can get more information. I will post that again on the blog, and then you can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com for more information. Thank you all so much for what you are doing in helping raise awareness. Together, we can make a change. Take Thank care you, now. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors, from fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.